Another round of Grape Unfined Unfiltered, the podcast that peels back the pretty label to expose what's really in the bottle. Today we'll be talking Reposso and Amarone with Daniel Stewart from Guadietti Rizzardi. Thanks for joining us in our uh, beautiful uh, tasting room here at the warehouse, Daniel. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It's a beautiful day. Uh, you just missed uh, the, you know, the snowmageddon we had a couple weeks ago, so you got lucky. Yeah, so I heard, so I heard. So what can you tell me, uh, for listeners who aren't familiar with uh, Guadietti Rizzardi, are they a new winery, are they modern, what's what's the deal? Well, I mean, there are there are modern uh, twists to what we do, I mean, we use stainless steel fermentation tanks and things like that, but uh, to call us new would be uh, way off the mark, I mean, the uh, the first vineyards were planted way back in Valpolicella in 1649. The first bottled wines were 1678. So, you know, pretty, wow. pretty established old school producer, uh, but not old school in the way we make wines. I mean, the wines are very classically styled, but they're also very clean wines. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yesterday at our meeting with the staff, we were tasting the Suave and the, and the, the regular Valpolicella, and uh, they were super clean, no funkiness. Pretty, pretty pure fruit, you know, like the minerality really shown through. Yeah, I mean, that's that's very much the hand of the winemaker Giuseppe Rizzardi, who is a Rizzardi from the Rizzardi family. I mean, the current owners are Giuseppe and uh, his brother Agostino. And, um, you know, Giuseppe had trained in Bordeaux as a winemaker and came back with very specific ideas. And one of the most important things that he wanted to do was to make sure that these wines were very clean expressions of the place. So you taste the Suave, and you're not interfered with by any kind of weird off aromas or any any grape varieties that are they're too aromatic or too unusual. Um, really, these are wines that taste off the place, and in order to do that, they have to be very, very clean and pure. I think you uh, hit the nail on the head. So uh, the name Guadietti Rizzardi. Uh, I hear you referring uh, referring to them as just Rizzardi. Yeah, I mean, a, a, lot, a lot of people kind of struggle with the first name because it's not that easy to pronounce. It's a, it's an Italian name where you where you roll the oars in Guerrieri. But, I mean, there's two names there simply because um, this is a combination of two families because uh, 100 years ago, the last Guerrieri married a Rizzardi and that combined the estates of uh, Valpolicella and Bardolino. Uh, but, I mean... The current owners, their their surname is Rizzardi, um, and I mean that this is a family that is uh, established in the in the Veronese area. Um, so, for a lot of our importers in, in in many of the countries who sell our wines, they they refer to us as Rizzardi simply because it's a little bit easier than the double barrel. Yeah, beer. I think uh, I think we'll try to start referring to to the wines as Rizzardi also. <laughs> yeah, is, I mean I think it it's easier, easier that way. Yeah, a lot easier to spell too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but speaking of Italian, you don't sound Italian. Do I not? Oh, I was trying very hard. <laughs> no, oh, no. Um, I'm Irish originally. Um, Irish. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I used to, uh, I used to work for uh, a very good importer in Ireland. We had a, we had a number of uh, wine shops, quite a few, in fact, thirty, 30 plus. And uh, I was on the buying side of things. And uh, the Rizzardi family, we knew each other over the years. They were one of our key imports. In fact, probably our most important Italian import. And that's how that's how I kind of ended up over there. Wow! And so far, so good. You're you're so liking far, it. So you good, have yeah. a family and everything there, and they like it. 
That's correct. Yeah, no, they're 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 pretty happy over there. Well, that sounds great. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll have to come and visit you. Uh, let's uh, let's get to it. So we got this uh, the Rapasso and the Amarone here. This is a 2015 Rapasso. Uh, I think you were mentioning that you are in 2016 now, so we'll be seeing that pretty soon. Uh, let's try the wine. Okay. Hmm. This is like, you know, it's got a beautiful nose. I mean, yeah, it's really more aromatic. It's not really aromatic, but it just smells great. This is a style of Rapasso, and uh, it's funny, you, you're talking about the nose. I mean, it's a, it's a style of Rapasso where the aroma is very much about bright, um, fragrant fruit. It's not, uh, you know, sometimes Rapasso can, can almost smell a bit jammy and kind of sweet. This is, this is, this is a very classic style. So Yeah, this is not focuses, sweet at all. No, it's not. Hmm. I mean, it focuses very much on having good fruit purity and a word that we use quite a lot in, in where we are in the winery and, uh, and that's drinkability, you know, it's not cloying, it's not sweet. It's very fresh and vibrant. Wow. What's the, what's the, what's the sugar on this? I mean, it's, it is, it's got fruit, but it's not, you know, there's no sweetness really. No, there's no sweetness. I mean, this is finishing dry. I mean, we're around a gram of sugar, so it's, as, it's pretty much as low as we can, as we can go. But as well, you say, it. there's plenty of fruit, so it doesn't feel in any way aggressively dry. It's a, uh, it's it's in balance. Yeah, I'd have to uh, I'd have to agree with you there. And what and what are the actual regulations right now on production of Ripasso? And actually, that's another thing. Maybe you can touch on just really quickly. You don't have to you know touch on it too much. But I see all these other things out there, like you know, that have twists on the name. And, you know, and it's kind of somewhat confusing. I mean, for me, yeah. maybe I'm sure it's confusing I mean for buying public yeah i think it's a bit confusing for everybody to be honest with you because uh i mean when you see repasso on the label the wine should be a wine that's repassed on the pumice or skins of the of the amaroni that's what a repasso mm -hmm. is you see a lot of look-alike wines nowadays and wines given fancy names and different names where people are using other methods to try and replicate the flavor profile and the the body texture etc of a repasso and uh you know even though in in their own right some of these wines might be good wines they're they're not Rapasso, you know, and they can't uh, they can't replicate it perfectly. So, you know, you you see a lot of wines where sometimes people will use a portion of dried fruit and add it to the fermentation tank to spark off more uh, more fermentation, more flavor, etc. Or mm -hmm. they'll they'll add dried grapes to a finished wine and then put in some yeast to try and bump it up. I mean, these are all you know, these there's are all wines that maybe may have their own merits, but however. They are not Rapasso. The thing about a Rapasso, and the very important thing, is that it's got to be a good wine in the first place. You've got to have a mm -hmm. very good Valpolicella. You put it in with your Amarone, and the Amarone skins, they just give it um, they just give it a little bit of polish. They give it an accent. They, they bring up the texture and the, and the flavor of the wine. Hmm. Well, that's, that's what happens on this wine. It's beautiful. And how much is Thank actually you. produced? I mean, I heard something about, I don't know, a certain amount of bottles being produced in accordance to how many bottles of Amarone. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, that's tied into to, to, to wine law. I mean, you are allowed two bottles of uh, Ripasso maximum for every bottle of Amarone you produce. And we normally work off a ratio of about 1 1.2, 1 1.3 bottles max 
of, wow. of our repasso for our amaroni, which means that we're not over overextending the skins that we're using. We're not uh, we're not drying them out too much. That's not a lot of wine, actually. No. Hmm. Okay, let's uh, let's move on to the uh, amaroni. So this is the amaroni. This is twenty eleven. Uh, Calcarole, is that correct? That's it. Yeah. Well, what's that? What's that stand for? What's it refer to? Well, cal- Calcarole is um, it's calcar. It's it's limestone because oh, essentially that makes sense. This is coming from one single vineyard in Negrar and Valpolicella, and the terroir is limestone terroir. This is essentially it's like a limestone rock in Negrar with a little bit of soil on top, and uh, the vines are planted on terraces up the hill, and then this. Uh, slightly sloping sweeping plateau on top so it's very very poor soil for growing just about everything else but it's obviously fantastic for grapes because you put a vine in bad soil and the grapes really thrive yeah well let's give it a go <coughs> Ooh, a little bit down the wrong tube there <laughs> well that's a that's amazing and again it's it's i'm not finding it very you know you know, sweet or you know, super duper raisiny, pruny, like some humongous, you know, Zinfandel or something, which a lot of people sometimes refer, you know, to Amaroni as like being some like giant Zin like yeah. wine, but I'm not really finding that here. This is really just coming off really elegant. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's, that's nice to hear that word because that's a, that's a word that we, we like to associate with a wine. I mean, this is, uh, this is Amaroni, of course. I mean, it's made from dried grapes, but what you really experience is, is, is a fine wine. It's, it's a wine where you have, there's a lot of flavors, a lot of concentration, but there's no thickness or heaviness. This wine carries its, carries a certain fresh profile through it. Even though we're hitting 16% alcohol, and uh, you know, you have all the concentrated flavor that you get from, uh, from our vineyards, from drying the grapes, from three years in oak. Um, but as you say, it's not particularly raisiny. We don't over dry our grapes. Uh, we believe that we, we're bringing in grapes in such a condition in the first place that are that are suitable for a good wine that you don't. We don't need to have a prolonged drying period. We will we will dry for three three and a half months and then we we begin with the wine. Wow, yeah, this is this is delicious. So and, and um, actually, well, kind of back. We should have talked about this before. But uh, as far as like fruit, I mean, are you know, are are there sources around the Veneto or you know around obviously Valpolicella that uh, it's already are sourcing from, or is it all a state? Oh no, it's all a state. We we do we don't for for our Amarone, it's coming directly from our own vineyards. Um, everything's done in house, and it's very much. Uh, you know, it's quite a painstaking process. It's labor intensive, um, but we get the results we get from it. I mean, everything is picked by hand. It goes into boxes in the vineyard. Then they're brought to a frutaia or drying room, which was purpose built in the 18th century with windows open north and south to let the breeze come through. Mm-hmm. Um, we have no control over our temperature or our humidity. We have mechanical fans that have been used for, for years and years and years to keep the air circulating. But as I say, we, we don't control temperature, we don't control humidity. So it's quite a, you know, it's quite a, a craft way of doing Amaroni. It's the old way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get the wine we get. Yeah, so uh, you're talking about like, you know, the environment outside and, you know, the hills, being able to interact with the, the grapes. And it's not like just stuck in a big giant, uh, you know, refrigerated warehouse or something. No, no, it's not. Hmm. No. 
Well, that's cool. And you're, you're saying yeah, like I mean, the old, you know, the old fashioned way. You know, do, are there old vintages available at the winery? Yeah, there is. I mean, we we keep back uh, we keep back uh, a certain amount every year. Uh, we started doing that a number of years ago. Uh, we always kept a, a small quantity, and we, we've increased that a little bit. So, you know, in the future, we'll be able to to release the the odd vertical case, or you know, or pop into the market, uh, you know, a few cases of an old vintage. So, and we we like to show our Amarone when it's when it's aged. It's it's quite interesting for people to to come and taste at the winery or in the future, and when we do wine dinners, etc. When they see an Amarone with age, uh, it really changes people's perception of Amarone because it really ages and matures like like a great fine wine of the world. Um, and it can actually become difficult a bit later on to identify exactly what it is because it's mm. uh, it becomes a very complex wine. Oh, sorry, I had to take another sip there. <laughs> That's okay. Good. So, so, like, how old are we, are we talking about at the cellar or, you know, I mean, are we talking about, ooh, 1900 or before? No, I mean, Amarone is actually a much younger wine than a lot of people think. I mean, uh, Ripasso is actually older than Amarone because... Oh, really? Ripasso, yeah. <laughs> Ripasso was a wine that you used to put on the, the pomace of the skins of your Recciotto della Valpolicella, which is the sweet red mm. of the region. So Amarone really only came, uh, came about by accident in the, in the thirties and then started to sort of see production in the, from the forties onwards. So we don't keep vintages that, that, that are that old. We have some very, very old vintages, but they're, they're private. They, they belong to the family. And then, but for, for, for us in, in terms of the business and, and tasting and journalists, et cetera, we kind of go back to 1988 with our Amarone, so we have a pretty pretty clear run from 88 up to now. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. And uh, do you have a whole bunch in your cellar? <laughs> uh, no, they never last long. That's the problem. I always, uh, because uh, obviously, you know, when, I, when I'm in Italy, people want to come and visit, and uh, a lot of my yeah. friends are wine friends, so they usually destroy it. <laughs> exactly. And then you have to go back to back to the office and get more wine. Yep, that's it. Oh, it's tough. So what's uh what can you tell me about like any any uh, trend or I don't know movements going on right now in the Veneto you know in Bartolino? Yeah, well, I mean that's interesting you say that because uh you know um I'm hoping next week on the water um there'll be some uh, Bartolino Chiretto. That's our that's our our other estate, and that's in fact where you know where we're based and where the offices are. But our mm -hmm. Bartolino Chiretto Rose is going to be shipped to the to the states. Um, oh. and that's, uh, that's a rose in the Veneto, which has changed over the last kind of five, six years where the style has become lighter in color and, and more suitable to our climate. So it's a very, it's quite, it's a very vibrant style of rose, pale in color, mm -hmm. but really quite, quite intense cherry fruit. So I think it's a wine that's going to have a lot of appeal when it, when it hits the shores of the U.S. I mean, it's, it's, it's been, it's been very successful as were. So I look forward to it. And, uh, and you were saying it's more suitable to your climate. Last night you mentioned something about, like, you know, climate change is really having an effect on the area and the producers and the vines and everything. You know, can you, you know. Yeah, well, that's it. Without, without getting uh, into too much controversy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there's, there's no doubt that in our, in our European vineyards, you know, we are seeing warmer and warmer seasons. Um, I mean, you can really, that's really noticeable, uh, for, for example, for German wine producers who record the, the data very, very accurately. And over the years, they've seen their, their gradual summer temperatures rise and rise and rise. Uh, and we, we face the same sort of thing where, you know, things are getting, getting a little bit warmer. And for example, in the Suave, you know, we have to, 
you know, there's in, in these warmer years, we're having to pick some of the fruit a little bit earlier to, to retain freshness. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it is something that affects our choices. Well, I think it's happening uh, everywhere. You know, earlier harvests, bigger wines, people moving north, you know. Yeah. You know, what can you do? Well, anyway, well, it's, uh, that sounds good. Uh, let's try to wrap this up, I guess, and we'll get out of here and uh, go get a beer. Uh, actually, speaking of beer, what, what kind of beer do you drink, actually? Well, when I when I when I back home in Ireland, it's a Guinness. But when I'm on the road, uh, I, I actually like something which is not too uh, too wacky in flavor. You know, I like something that actually tastes like a beer. Well, you don't want a full blown, you know, triple hopped IPA that tastes like, you know, orange juice. Yeah, no, no, I'll pass on that. Just give me, just give me. I like an IPA, but not over the top. All right, well, let's get out of here and go get a beer. Sounds good. All right, thanks again, and uh, let's do it. Okay, let's go.